Peter emailed me in response to one of my regular newsletter emails that went out, which was all about microbreweries and hipster bailouts. He thought I should expand on that email by creating a video. I'm David C. Barnett, and you're tuned in to Small Business and Deal Making, the podcast, YouTube channel, and blog where I talk about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium sized businesses while controlling risk. So, if you're looking to take control of your future through buying a business one day, or if you already own a business and you're looking to grow or exit, you've come to the right place. I talk about interesting things, I talk to interesting people, and I answer your questions every week right here. So, be sure to hit like and be sure to hit subscribe, and let's get to it. And just a reminder to everyone, today's video is sponsored by Mark Willis and Lake Growth Financial. Um, if you've ever thought it would be great to own an asset that keeps going up in value that you can borrow against any time and not have to qualify for credit, better than real estate, you know, in a lot of ways, not subject to market volatility, etc., then you should go to newbankingsolution.com check out the intro video that I did there with Mark, see all of the appearances Mark has had in this, in this, uh, on my YouTube channel by checking out the playlist that's linked there as well. And if you leave your name, phone number, email, etc., cetera, uh, Mark will reach out and help show you what one of these plans might look like for you. All right. So as I was saying, Peter sent me this email in response to my email, because in that email, and if, if you're not on my email list, you really should join because um, I send out an email almost every day. And basically I talk about situations, I talk about ideas, I talk about uh, examples of experiences that other clients are going through. And I put one out every day, you check the boxes of what you're interested in. So you only get emails regarding those topics. Uh, and one of the topics that I sent out was about a craft beer festival. And so a couple of weeks ago, I went with a few friends and we sampled the different beers and there were all these different microbreweries that were all together in this um, like big warehouse type of building. And I told the story of how back in 2020, I thought that it would be cool to be in the microbrewery business. And the I decided to take my own advice because whenever tell, people tell me they wanna start a certain kind of business, I will always say, have you contacted people in the industry? Can you find someone who wants to sell? Because the presupposition that most people make when they see a bunch of people, a bunch of different companies operating in an industry is you assume, hey, there's all kinds of competitors. There must be a market for this. There must be demand. They must be making money. And so I think we mailed out letters to like 75 microbreweries in the region and got a few phone calls back. And when we went and visited, it was so me and, and a friend of mine who was, you know, open to being a partner in this. Um, we went and we visited a couple of these places and man, the beer was often excellent and the environment, the tap room, et cetera, was often very cool. Uh, and then we would get into discussions about their sell through with the liquor commission. We have a government controlled monopoly on any alcohol sales here. So, if you're going to sell alcohol outside of your own premises, you have to be listed with the liquor commission. And so it, a lot of these people had a hard time getting listed. Uh, a lot of them would get listed and then because of insufficient volume would get delisted. 
And it's very difficult sometimes for some of these operators to get listed in other provinces unless they can you know, sustain a certain volume of production and delivery, et cetera. So we got a chance to look at a few sets of financial statements. And one of the things that immediately jumped out at me was just how many of them weren't making any money. And we had conversations with several of these businesses. Uh, and what was interesting is one fellow in particular said, you know, I'll, I'll, I'd love to sell my business. This is what I want for it. There was no way the cash flow justified the price in any means. Um, there was certainly an equipment value there, right? But it was not a money-making proposition. One of the interesting things that I noticed in a lot of these balance sheets were these investments. So there'd be like a class B share, for example, and there'd be money in there, $50,000, $100,000. And when asked, I would say, you know, what's, what's this class B share? What is it? And most of the people would tell me, this: these are my investors. I sell class B shares to my investors. Now, here in New Brunswick, Canada, we have something called a small business investor tax credit. And it's only applicable to certain kinds of businesses under certain situations. And that is startup and expansion of a business. You can't use this tax credit program to buy a business and you can't use it for certain kinds of businesses. But what it means is that you can say to someone, hey, invest in my business and maybe I'll give you payments or buy back your preferred share at a higher price at some point in the future. But in the immediate moment, you will earn a tax credit, which you can then use to offset the taxes due on uh, your employment income, right? So if you start to say, hey, you know, if you invest 10,000 in my business, you'll get a, a $5,000 tax coupon off your income tax. That in and of itself is appealing for some investors because then they think, okay, not only am I getting half my money back kind of, you know, within the tax year, but if... I can get, you know, even if I lose money on this investment, if I lose 30% or whatever, I'm still going to end up ahead because of the tax credit. And so what a lot of these people were doing in the, in the microbrewery industry is they were using this tax credit program to bring in investors. And even so, they weren't doing much as far as making money. And it really came to a head when we were talking with uh, one particular microbrewery owner who um, was in a bad situation and wanted to sell his business. And we looked at it and again, huge problems with revenue and cash flow didn't justify the investment in the business in any way. And uh, I said, you know, I'd like to help you out. I know, I know the amount of money you need to get out of this situation, but it just doesn't make sense for us to do that. And so his response was, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll just go find other investors. And he did. He raised like fifty or seventy thousand dollars using this tax credit program. Now, the the particulars of that program aside, uh, because I actually doubt whether that that would be qualified. You know, bringing on investor money to pay off debts. I don't. The way I read the rules, it doesn't say you can do that. But it highlights this fact that microbreweries are very cool. They're what I could describe as a hipster business. And, you know, I'm approaching 50. So I've seen this before. I've seen like hobby farms and sports bars and, you know, steakhouses 
and different kinds of establishments like that where people want to be associated with that business. Um, in another recent email, I told the story of a guy named Steve who opened up an Irish pub and he used that tax credit program. And so he brought these investors in and put a ton of his own money into, but he brought these investors in and they were very excited about being attached to this business. And the reason I found out this business had private investors was because I was doing business with one of the gentlemen that made an investment. And every time we, we wanted to get together for a business meeting, he insisted we go to the Irish pub, right? Which only makes sense because he invested in it. He wants it to be successful, but he took great pride in, in letting people know that he was part owner of the Irish pub. And as, as a investor, uh, in the business, of course, he didn't have to go there. He didn't have to manage staff. He didn't have to do any of the normal things that we would think are part of running a business like that. He just got to put money in and then he could tell people that he was part owner. And so it was, it's actually one of the strategies that people will use when they're seeking out investors is what, in addition to money, what else can you bring? And so what Steve had accomplished was achieving a whole series of sort of ambassadors for his business that would help bring people into his pub. It's the same thing with these microbreweries. They're very cool. And so there are people out there who have some disposable cash, especially when you're, when the, a tax credit is included, you know, what, what kind of money will people spend on a fancy car or a really cool motorcycle? Right. And you might argue that if you buy the Porsche, what you're buying is, is status to a certain degree. You want to be seen in a certain light by people in your community, um, by people in the in the broader community that you might live in, you want them to look at you in a certain way. So you buy, you know, the Porsche, for example. Well, that celebrity or prestige or cachet can also be obtained by being part owner of the microbrewery if your community values that kind of thing as cool. So what I saw when I was looking at these businesses are these businesses that weren't really making any money but kept being propped up by investors piling money in. Because let's face it, if you're like a dentist or something, investing 10 grand, getting a $5,000 tax credit means you just invested five grand to be able to go and tell people that you're part owner of the microbrewery, right? It's actually a pretty inexpensive form of status acquisition uh, for someone who has extra money like that. And so uh, it was, a, it was a, a cute email, I thought, um, but what it, what the problem is, is that the normal market forces that govern the world of business don't apply when people are doing this because in the normal world where, you know, there were no tax credits and where investors thought about getting a return on their investment, right? I mean, nobody buys shares in Coca-Cola to be able to go tell people they're part owner of Coca-Cola, right? Millions of people are part owner of Coca-Cola. It's just a share in your stock portfolio. But to go and meet your friends at the local microbrewery and sit around a table sampling beer and being able to tell people that you've invested in the business, it's a little bit different, right? It's a little more prestigious. And so a lot of these microbreweries should be out of business. They, the ones I looked at anyway should be closed. And they're not because they're getting this weird off-market subsidy. And a lot of times people will say this with respect to government, you know, um, government efforts to interfere in a market during COVID, you know, they, yes, the government created all those public health mandates, but then they also created these other programs where they put money into the hands of businesses. 
And there are a lot of marginal businesses that were barely hanging on that became far more profitable during COVID because of all the government interventions, because all of a sudden they can get money for this and get money for that. And here in Canada, we had rent subsidies and then we also had wage subsidies. And there was also, you know, interest-free uh, bank loans that people could get in their businesses. And so I know one business in particular that was destined to close by the spring of 2020. And it actually kept going until the end of 21 and was far more profitable while those government interventions were in place than they ever were before. And so that space should have become, vac should have become vacant. The owners should have lost their investment. The human resources, the workers in that business should have you know, been released to go and find jobs in other places. And so all of these resources that would normally maybe find a more productive home in the hands of some other entrepreneur are still being you know, used by these entrepreneurs who aren't very good at running their business or not making any money. And just thought it was an interesting, interesting story and an interesting angle. Um, if you're going to invest in a business, it has to be to make money. And what I learned during that, you know, shopping trip for microbrewery is that getting into that business, um, it certainly wouldn't make sense to start one because now I know the reality of, of what these different places are making in my market anyway. And, and these things continue to proliferate and very few of them are owned by business people. They're mostly owned by that e-myth technician, the hobbyist brew, uh, beer brewer from home who you know, learns the craft of brewing. They make their own beers. All their friends tell them they're great at it. And so then they go out and they found a business based on their ability to make beer rather than you know, commercial experience in, um, in running that kind of business. Now, amongst the microbreweries that I know, there's one in particular that I've visited quite often, which is not, this case, is not the case at all. This one has been established by people with business experience they, they went and hired someone who's been trained professionally to brew beer and they leave that task to that person. And so they've been so successful in the first few years that they, they've actually you know, expanded their business through making an addition onto their building and everything. So while I've not seen the financial statements, I can tell you that the banker likely would not have written a mortgage on that building expansion if they weren't doing something right. Right. And so would I ever get into the microbrewery business? I, I think I would. Um, I would probably use the opportunity, knowing that I'm getting into a hipster business, to go and try to find some investors to put money in with me, right? Um, because obviously that's a source of capital I can't ignore. But I certainly wouldn't start one. I know that it makes more sense to buy one. And I would have to be certain that I would know what issues need to be addressed and make sure that I have either within myself or on my team, the proper skills to address those problems. So what might the problems be? Well, maybe it's the taste or quality of the product. There's one microbrewery near me that doesn't make good beer. In my opinion, I don't go there very often. They're still open. Um, not that my, you know, palate is the superior one that everyone needs to recognize, but um, you know, like you, it's cool enough. People keep putting money in. It doesn't really matter, maybe. Um, and then there's the marketing issue. And then there's the listing and sales issue at the Liquor Commission. Because really, 
a lot of these businesses, what I also learned, had like 50, 60, 70% of their revenue coming from their own tap room, which means they're not really a brewery. They are a local pub that makes their own beer, right? And so what's the difference? Well, a brewery is infinitely scalable. There is a Molson brewery here in town where I live. Um, truckloads of beer leave that place every day in cans destined for, you know, all over the place. You know, they drive that beer up into Quebec. They drive it all over the Atlantic region. They might even export to the States from that brewery. So that is an, is a scalable business. That's a real manufacturing business. Manufacturing businesses fetch higher multiples because you can use the same plant and equipment and, and keep ratcheting up production your overheads and capital investment gets spread over more and more units produced and you become a more efficient operation, more profitable, even if the price of what you sell doesn't change. The volume has a huge impact. With these small microbreweries, if you can't crack the ability to sell offsite, if there's some barrier preventing that, like here where we have this government regulated liquor uh, agency system, uh, if you can't crack that nut, it means you are forever stuck running a pub and having all of the issues and problems related to manufacturing without the ability to scale, right? It's like the worst of both worlds. You know, if I wanted to just be in the bar business, I could open up a, you know, Dave's micro brewed tap room and just buy the stuff from people in kegs and have, you know, at, at certain times a day, one employee you know, serving people at the bar. Um, I would then get the, the high margins of draft. I would have low labor costs. I would, I would avoid all the capital investment in the brewing equipment and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, anyway, thank you very much, Peter, for submitting the email. Uh, we'll see if people like this story or if it makes you really angry. Uh, if you would like to invest in a microbrewery operation, put a comment down below. Or if you have invested in a microbrewery operation, put a comment down below and let us know what kind of rate of return or yield you've achieved out of your investment. Um, I would I would just be curious to know. Um, and if, if if you've invested in other businesses earlier in your life, like the hobby farms or the steakhouses or the sports bars or whatever, uh, please share your story. I know that other people would love to see that. And, uh, and with that, don't forget, if you are going to go out there and uh, buy a business, then prepare yourself by learning how to do it. Head over to businessbuyeradvantage.com. I just this morning received another email from someone who took the course back in 2020 and just, and I'm recording this in November of 2022, they just closed on a deal over a $2 million purchase price, a business that has an SDE of a million dollars. And so... Everything you need to know, you can find through Business Buyer Advantage or through signing up for my group coaching program at businessbuyeradventure.com. And with that, I'll say see you later and uh, we'll talk to you soon. So how can you learn more about buying, selling, financing, and managing small and medium-sized businesses? Easy. Head over to my blog site at davidcbarnett.com. You'll find hundreds of articles and videos all for free. You'll find links to my books and online courses, and you can sign up for my email list and get emails covering topics that interest you and be notified of new videos.